The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, Glory, hey, it's good to be back with you. This is Dudley. Looking forward to a wonderful summer. Hope you have a great summer. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you what we're talking about this uh, particular month. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention to you, as always. One, I want to... Since I'm talking this time about what's in the inheritance that we get as being a joint heir with Christ, that has to do with our carrying out his mission, you'll know at the end of the session. I want to recommend to you a little booklet we did some time ago, called When Hard Times Come, Taking the Life of David, a man that God loved, he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he went through some hard times in preparation for what God had for him. So we have it both in the audio, and booklet form. So order that, get that, use it as for your own sake and then for to share it with others. I hope you are taking advantage of what you're learning and that you are giving it away. One of the things I've noticed about leaders in Africa, for instance, when I've been there to speak to pastors and leaders, they learn quickly. And one of the reasons they learn quickly is that they are, they're learning with a view to teaching it to somebody else. They're not just learning for themselves. They're thinking, okay, how does this apply to me? And how am I going to get it to apply to others? And so I really encourage you to listen that way too. And so all of the stuff that we are recommending to you is for to help you do that very kind of thing. Uh, the subject we're talking about this time is a subject that it's misunderstood a lot. The, the whole point of trouble uh, being in our lives and suffering, being a part of the life of victory. A lot of people don't get it. A lot of people live in denial there. So uh, you'll be meeting a lot of needs if you get a hold of it and you help some others. A couple of things coming up I want to tell you about. Hey, we're doing a thing in June, 22nd, 23rd, Friday through Saturday dinner. It's storytelling. It's called Retold the Power of the Story learning how to recognize a story, how to recognize our story, how to learning how to tell our story. All, uh, well, I'll say all of us, a lot of us love storytelling. We love the natural storyteller, the person that can keep you spellbound by painting a picture with words and phrases and carry you along on a journey. We love the storyteller. Sadly, we've lost a lot of the ability to tell stories because we've done our storytelling through movies and videos and all of that. But it'll never go out of style, telling your story. Marketers have gotten a hold of it. They realize that to sell a product, they got to sell a story, a narrative. And so what we're going to do is spend the weekend telling stories, analyzing stories, and learning how to tell our story better. For as long as space lasts, we'll have uh, both men and women and You'll, it'll be interactive. You'll get to hear some great stories. You get your instructions on stories. Then you get to practice telling your story by by choosing a structure. So uh, I hope you'll come. So you need to register. You need to register now. You need to register quickly. Go online, call our office, but you need to register for the storytelling. It's called Retold. And then uh, in July, we do our usual leadership expeditions where we have young men from 16 to 25 that we take to the ranch and we go through 
intense leadership training. Uh, not every boy is willing to do it, but every boy who is willing to do it will be unintimidatable from then on. That is our goal, and God helps us to get there. So we've, we've been doing this 20-something years, and we've sent boys all over the world who are now men and who are leading in their spheres of influence because they've learned something about making choices and how to make wise choices, that choices have consequences, how to work in teams, how, how to live under authority, how to live with authority. Those are the things that we are dealing with in a very practical way there. So if uh, it, we, we probably will still have room by the time you get this. If you know some young man or you are a young man that was, is interesting, you need to contact us quickly. Best thing to do is go to uh, leadershipexpedition.org and watch the, the video of what goes on there and see if you really want to do it. And then just follow the instructions. Uh, you have to be recommended and you have to fill out a pretty uh, intense application and then we'll interview you. We'd love for you to, to do that. And for the rest of you, you can be praying for that event and you can also be sending in scholarships because the money that the guys pay to come does not cover the expense, as you might imagine. The boys that age can eat more than you and I could afford. So we need each other and I need you to help. So send in scholarships. We ask that the boys pay $400. Well, that doesn't quite cover it, as you can imagine. So leadership exhibition is a good thing. And you can, you can be a partner with that and you can be making investments and people who are going to be leading the world in the days to come. Okay? All right, let's get to our subject today. What is in the inheritance? This is a, I'm not the greatest titler in the world, but uh, this is out of, out of the epistle of Romans, where Paul is describing in Romans 8 what it means for us as New Testament Christians to live in the promised land. He is taking the story of Israel and how God led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and into the promised land, how he led them by Sinai, gave them the law, how the law exposed the wickedness of sin, and then how he led them into the promised land where we're led by the Spirit, like Israel was led by the cloud and the fire. And we're led to into conflict with the enemy that's left in the land. But now we're led by the Spirit and we're partners with God. And so we are, we are taking the land. We are ruling. We're doing what God created Adam and Eve to do and their progeny to begin with. So we're doing it now and we're doing it by being led by the Spirit and by understanding where we are. So in the midst of the discussion of what does it look like to be a New Testament victor walking in the promised land, the land that we get by believing a promise, he talks about the inheritance. So let me just break into this fabulous pericope here in Romans 8, starting with verse, uh, let's start with verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's interesting, isn't it? That the inheritance that we get by being a joint heir with Christ, Christ is the only son. He gets everything the father has. But we're joint heirs because we're in Christ. So we share the inheritance with him. And part of that in uh, of that inheritance is we inherit his mission. We inherit what Jesus came to accomplish. And he came to restore humans back to the original intent of humans. And that is that we would be partners with God, ruling over creation as we submit under God. That is the epitome of the human experience. When it says that we are, that we may be glorified with him, what does it mean that we'll be glorified with him? It means we'll be back to what humans were supposed to be to start with. Now, Jesus is glorified as a man by the fact that after his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father to sit at the place of ruling where humans rule. He he ascended as the God-man to the right hand of the Father to rule over the kingdom. We are joint heirs with him in that we are his physical representatives now left on the earth to rule over his stuff. And we do that as we're led by the Spirit. Now, as we're led by the Spirit, we encounter things that need to be ruled. Whether it's things inside of us that haven't yet been restored we haven't hadn't really been addressed by the grace of God, or it's things outside of us that we have influence over. Uh, we have inherited the land. You remember when God made a promise to Abraham early on, I'll give you a land? Well, that was just a little piece of land, but it was a kind of a symbol, if you will, or a shadow of the ultimate inheritance. The land that God gave to the final Adam therefore to us, is the whole world. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, it says that God promised Abraham that he would be heir of the world, the whole land. So instead of getting caught up with all the conflict in the Near East, the Middle East, about the who, who owns the land and whatever, God's talking about us ruling the whole land, everything that he created. And so there's a lot of glory in, in being a human that's being restored to proper relationship with God, therefore is free to rule in the world. The point I want to make to begin with is that we have been given the whole package, the whole inheritance. We've been given, we've been given everything that belongs to Jesus. He is sharing with us. Now, a lot of times we only limit that to the, you know, what we would call the positive blessings. There are no negative blessings. We say, well, 
you know, I like that part, Dudley, about having access to the Father like like Jesus does, where I can talk to the Father anytime. I like the I like the fact that I am beloved. I am loved by God the same way he loves Jesus. I like that. And I like the fact that he gave me his name so that I can use his name and it's the authoritative name over every name. I like that. And I like the fact that uh, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in me. And I, I have the same spirit in me, which guarantees my body will one day be, be raised from the dead. I like that. I'm not too not too keen on that deal about sharing his sufferings. Uh, I just shouldn't leave that out. And so we come up with all kinds of theology. You know, well, the devil does certain things. And, and if, if there's any suffering, it's the devil did it. And if it's not suffering, then, you know, God did it. And we come up with all kinds of messed up theology. We need, we need to understand that, no, we, we've, we share in the privilege of suffering in this world that is still waiting for its final redemption. The creation is groaning on tiptoes, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, waiting until the sons of God really uh, find that place of true humanity where we're actually ruling as God intended us to as his partner. So we share that. We see it in the first part of Acts. Jesus has been resurrected now. He's met with the disciples a bunch of times. And now he is uh, he's talking to them. And they said, is this the time when you're going to restore Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that God, all, all the, the dates and whatever. What, what's important for you is, is for you to understand that you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, that's a big thing. What he's saying is in the Old Testament, Isaiah had talked about the people of God being a witness to what God was doing and that they would be the ones who carried out his purpose on the earth. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are those. You are the, I have been the witness. I have been the witness. I've been heaven's witness as to what a man looks like, as to what God looks like, as to what the father is like as to what it means to, to rule. I have been the witness. I'm turning that over to you. In another occasion, you remember, he had said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And as the father sent me, I send you. So with the same authority that the father's given me, I'm sending you. So he's saying, I'm giving you my mission. Now, what does that mission look like? Well, what did it look like in Jesus? What did it look like in Paul? Paul understood this. He understood that he was taking up himself the very mission of Christ. He was an extension of the life of Christ on this earth. Christ suffered. In his suffering, in his weakness, he was able to display strength. It was in his humanity that he showed the greatness of, of the grace and the, and the sovereignty of God. So, so he didn't come with a sword. He didn't come with political authority. He came as a, a guy from Nazareth. He came as a Jewish teacher. Uh, and yet he was able to demonstrate that he had authority over everything. He could speak to the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. He could speak to demons and they left. He could speak to disease and it, uh, healing took place. He could speak to sin and it was forgiven. 
he showed that there was no no as, aspect, no sphere of human endeavor that he did not have an authority. And yet he did not do it from a point of view of what we would call strength. It was a point of view of weakness. He, he, he was a man of sorrows. Uh, he, he had no form of beauty that we would behold him, Isaiah 53 says. So, so, so Jesus in his weakness revealed the strength of God. He said to them, hey, the very words that I say to you are the Father's words. The things that I do to you is the Father working through me. So, so Paul got it and he said, okay. I have this one thing that I want to do. I want to share in his life. I want to share in his inheritance. I want to share in his the power of his resurrection. I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. What does he say? That's part of the inheritance. Part of our inheritance is that we get to be weak, at least appears weak, in a world that majors on strength, being in the natural, physical, political, military. We get to be weak so that in our weakness, God's strength is made manifest. Now, that's a privilege. So when we know that, we are not so afraid of or feel victimized when there's uh, when, there, when trouble pops up, uh, when we run into a place where our weakness is exposed. We realize, hey, we're in a good spot. We're in a place where God's strength can come about. So I, I've got five things. Five ways that the kingdom, the, the kingdom way of strength being made perfect or, or, or being displayed in our weaknesses. So uh, probably the great illustration of this, as you might imagine, would be Paul saying in his discussion of his weakness, uh, he had a thorn in the flesh. And people have discussed, Bible students have discussed, what is it? Physical thorn, uh, eye problem, uh, malaria, what was it just persecution of the Jews? What, what was it stoning in the flesh? Well, he, he identified it this way, a messenger of Satan given by God. Okay, so so Paul said he when he had when he recognized his thorn in the flesh, he went to the Lord and asked the Lord to remove it three times. And finally the Lord responded by saying, my grace is enough. In your weakness, my strength is made complete. It is manifested. And so Paul said, okay, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what we're here for. That's what the inheritance is. That's, what, that's, what, that's my privilege. That's my joy. That's my calling. That's, that's, my, that's, what, that's my vocation. I'm here that in my weakness, his strength is made strong. Now that t cuts totally against the popular current idea of it's all about me. It's about me and my comfort and it's about me and my feeling good about myself and my self-esteem and it's about me and my security and it's about me and my significance and it's me and my popularity. It cuts against all of that. But the kingdom is an upside down way of living and it's the only way we find the satisfaction that our souls long for. As I said, Five different places in Scripture that I want to draw your attention. So you'll, you'll, you'll need to take notes, and it would be helpful if you have a copy of the Scriptures somewhere close by, and we'll, uh, we'll look at these. Uh, most of them are in 2 Corinthians, because that's what the book's about. 2 Corinthians is about 
uh, this whole idea of what does it mean to to be an apostle, for Paul to be an apostle of this kingdom that is so upside down, that looks so weird because they're they're criticizing him. They're saying, you're an apostle? You're one sent by Jesus, the one who did all those miracles and stuff, and yet you wind up in prison? You you don't talk very good. You got a physical ailment. You got a thorn in the flesh. You get kicked out of... Uh, you cause so much trouble in some cities, they have to let you down in a basket over the wall. Uh, you're not much of a, an apostle. You're not much of a victor. You're not much of an example for us if you're going to, if you want to talk about victory in Christ. We, we want a better apostle. And so it's in Paul's explaining that in 2 Corinthians that, that we get a lot of good insight about what does it mean to live now in between Pentecost and the final coming of Christ. We get to live in a fallen creation, a creation that's been paid for, redeemed, but it hasn't experienced it yet. It hasn't been completed yet. We live in a body like that, but we live there as partners with God. So listen to this, Second Corinthians chapter one. We are, comfort, we are comforted to comfort. Okay, listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. In other words, we're not embarrassed about this. I know you guys have heard about the trouble we had up there in Asia, and, and how tough times came and all kind of, it looked like the devil was certainly winning. We don't, we're not ashamed about that. We want you to know about it because, because here's the real truth about it. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Okay, so Paul said, when I start this letter, I want you to understand, we have, we have inherited this life of Christ and a part of our inheritance is we've inherited the mission and God is consistent about displaying his strength in our weakness. And, and that's our privilege. I think it's, it's interesting there. Some of us get embarrassed when we go through hard times, a little darkness, a little depression, a little frustration. Oh my goodness, I must be something wrong. But Paul said, hey, things were so tough up there. We thought maybe the sentence of death, maybe God was done with us. Maybe death is the only way out of here. We despaired even of life. Well, hey, but he said, hey, we got a better perspective. We understand what's going on. It's in that that we learn not to trust ourselves or depend upon ourselves. We found God to be faithful to come to us in the middle of that and show his mercy. So that's chapter one. Look at chapter uh, chapter two. 
This is, uh, I'll call this your captured to, to capture. First of all, you're comforted to comfort. Now you're captured to conquer. Anyway, there's a little play here. This is chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many, so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity and as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, Paul is using a metaphor here, a picture that would have been very familiar to the, for his original readers because he's picturing a Roman general coming into the city after having won a big battle and he's captured a bunch of enemies and he has you know, handcuffed them, tied them to chains there and they're coming in the parade. And so they parade through town and there's all kinds of pomp and splendor celebrating the victory and part of the people in the town getting to see what's happened, they get to see all the people that were conquered out there. And so all these soldiers are walking meekly behind the the lead float, if you will. So that, that's the picture. Now, you can imagine these guys have been out on the battlefield for days and uh, blood and guts and all that kind of stuff. They didn't smell all that great. So one of the things they would do in a parade is they would have all kinds of incense and, and perfumes and whatever that would be along the parade route so that there was this smell, this aroma that went out. Now, if you are a conquered slave and that's all you are, that is a smell of death because that's a smell that your conqueror has created and it's, you know, you don't like it because it's a smell that he has won. But Paul says that, that is, that's kind of where we are. We were captured by Christ and we were made a prisoner, a, a slave of his. Actually, in one sense, we are. We're captured, but in, in capturing us, he has made us his sons. And now we are marching along with him and we are creating this aroma. And this aroma goes out everywhere. And to some, it smells like victory. I mean, if you're friendly to the king, it smells like victory. If you are determined to be an enemy, it smells like death. So he says that's, that's kind of the way we are. As those who've been conquered by Christ, we smell, we have an aroma. If, if you are living in that sense that you have been captured by Christ, rather than, okay, I, I, I saw... I checked out all the religions of the world and I was smart enough to choose Jesus and and Jesus is lucky to have me on his team because I got lots of ability and whatever and whatever. If that's your attitude, you have not been captured yet. One who is captured is one who had no intention of ever being in that parade and yet he was captured and, and but he's captured by love. He's captured by the captain, the general of love, and he's captured and made a slave, but made a son. And, and so now you've been captured and you're, enjoy, you're, you're rejoicing in it. And because you're, you're rejoicing in the fact that God has been 
was bigger than your will and bigger than your determination and bigger than your stubbornness and that he captured you and made you his own. And now he calls you the beloved, the one that he loves. If uh, he's captured you now because of the joy in your heart, you have a an aroma that goes out. Now make no mistake about it. It'll smell like death to those who don't want to follow your king. And you'll be rejected by them. It'll cause suffering. It'll, call pers- it'll cause persecution. But it will also be an aroma to those who go, that, that's, I like that smell. And they will fall in line and be captured as well. So, so Paul is just trying to help us to understand what's going on in our world. Why do some people not like us? Why is there persecution? Why are they making fun of us on television? Why are, are they calling us narrow-minded and bigoted and all those terrible things? Well, they should like us. I mean, we built more hospitals than anybody. We, we started education. We've done a lot of wonderful things in the world. And then nobody seems to like us. They think we're a bunch of narrow-minded cultists. So poor me, you know. So Paul's saying, no, you don't poor me. You just understand what's happening. You're an aroma. Just keep on, keep on marching in that parade. There are going to be some people who go, yeah, I like that smell. And they're going to come to be captured themselves. So that's the picture in chapter 2. Uh, flip on over a little bit. And in chapter uh, 4, we have another occasion of what this comforting looks like. Let me see where we want to break in here. Four, starting with verse 7, I think. Uh, see if that would work. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Speaking of this light, this eternal life that we have in Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So that's a little complex there. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, let's see if I can. So, so basically he's saying, we have this glorious life of Christ, this resurrected life of Christ, and it's contained in these earthen vessels. They're pretty, they're pretty temporal. They're pretty fragile. They're pretty susceptible to weakness. They're pretty susceptible to all kinds of stuff. So we've got this eternal, transcendent life but it's contained in a bad box, or at least a fragile box. Well, he said, that's by design. Because here's what God does. He fills you. He fills this box. Because the box, the vessel, is not the most important thing. It's what it's filled with. He fills it. He takes it out here in front of people who've never seen this life. And he crushes it. Breaks it i tell you the good illustration of that. Conversion of Saul. Where'd that start? 
Well, you know, Saul, he's pretty headstrong. He thought he was right about all that stuff about Jesus being a false prophet and all that. And he was persecuting Christians because they were pulling away from the Judaism that he believed in. And so they, uh, you know, they had the, the, the early church uh, had this guy named Stephen. He was a deacon and made him a, made him a deacon. And, and he did a little sermon there. And in his sermon, he did a fabulous job of going back to the Old Testament and showing how the real issue is not the, the physical temple and the real issue is not the physical law, but the real issue is Jesus and how Jesus is fulfillment of all that. Pretty good preaching for, for a deacon. And, uh, but, but man, he didn't smell good to the crowd, at least to most of the crowd. And, and so they started stoning him. Now Saul was there and he was holding the clothes of the witnesses that were witnessing against, against Stephen. And he was right there, close by, close enough to look into Stephen's face. And he saw Stephen as he was being stoned and life was going out of him. And Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand, welcoming him. And he saw this light, this glow of God about him. It's no coincidence, I think, that not long after then, Saul was on a trip to Damascus and he saw that same light, but now it was more intense and it was shining on him. And he was struck down, fell on his face. And he, he met that Jesus that, uh, that Stephen had seen. And he met, he met Christ because he had already seen the light of the glory of God in the face of Stephen. And so now he sees a familiar light, but now it's on him. And so he's converted. And he cries out, Lord, what will you have me do? And so Paul is converted and goes over to Ananias and he prays for him. And, and so now we have the beginning of the life of Paul the apostle who wrote all this stuff. So what did God do in that whole deal? He took Stephen, a man who had, he was full of, full of wisdom, full of the spirit, full of glory, he took him full, but, but in a very fragile container, he broke it. And out of the breaking of Stephen's life came the life of Christ that got all over Paul. And so I don't know how it's going to be. Last judgment, you know, if there's going to be a long line and the most important ones are first, you know, probably not. But if, the, if it should be, and you could get a glimpse up, up close to the front. I think you might find Stephen standing in front of Paul because it was Stephen's suffering that maybe is where Paul got the first glimpse of the glory. Just a possibility. I just know that throughout history, God's pretty consistent in doing that. He'll just take somebody full, full, full. And you go, I filled you up so I could pour you out. I filled you up so I could empty you in the presence of those who've never seen that. And so that's, that's our privilege. And, and so when that happens, we don't want to get all bent out of shape. Like, well, that man, what a deal for Stephen. I mean, he, he trusted the Lord and he didn't get to live very long. His life is cut short by a bunch of uh, crooks, a bunch of lying witnesses in a bad court and they stoned him. Well, that's what you get for following Jesus. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you get for following Jesus. You get to share in his sufferings. You get to share in his mission. And his mission is to show the strength of grace in the presence of weakness. So so that's chapter four. Uh, look over chapter six. Same book, Second Corinthians chapter six. Uh, let's see where we want to start here. Probably verse, verse one. Listen to this. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Uh, let me give you an alternative reading. This is out of the New Living Translation. It, it uh, translates that verse this way. As God's partners, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together with God. Okay, so get that? Do you, do you understand what he's saying? This is our glory. This is what we share. We get to be God's partners. That's what Adam was in the garden. That's what Israel was, supposed to be, God's partner in, full, uh, in blessing the, the world. We get to be God's partners. How big, of, you know, how much significance do you need? How, how much of a meaningful job do you want? You get to be God's partner and you get to, to represent him on the earth. So he says, uh, as God's partners, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, quoting from Isaiah 49, at the right time, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Today is a day of salvation. Now li listen, listen. It's important you get this. Isaiah 49 is God through Isaiah predicting a day when he's going to restore Israel. He is going to have a witness on the earth. He is going to restore Israel and, it, and he's going to reach out to the Gentiles. It's, it's going to be called the day of salvation. It's a day that all of Israel looked forward to. But they had put it into the future and they had all kind of accoutrements in their expectations. And when Jesus showed up, they didn't recognize it. Here's what Paul says. That day's here. The day of salvation is here. The day that God promised would come has come. It just didn't look like the Jews thought it would. It, 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 it has come looking like a Messiah and looking now like the church, the people of God made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And so, so he goes on to say, as God's partners in this day of salvation, we live, listen, this, this is what he says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments and riots and labors and sleepless nights and hunger by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness the Holy Spirit by genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We're treated as impostors, yet we're true as unknown. We're well-known as dying. And yet behold, we live as punished, but not killed as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything. What's he saying? He's saying, look, we are so excited about being partnered with God and about how he does things, how in our weakness he's made strong. Therefore, we don't want to do anything that would put a stumbling block in, in, in front of someone who in this day of salvation can come to know the God that we know, the God that started it all, the God of, of the Lord Jesus Christ Christ 
the God who made those promises to Israel, we want them to know them. So they, they said, we're willing to limit our freedom. We're free. He said, we're not, we're not under the law. We're free. We're free to eat anything. We're free to go anywhere. But if, if anything is going to hinder people seeing this day of salvation, get it, we, we, don't, we don't want to do that. And so we rejoice in all this stuff. We realize we're well known. We're, we're beloved of God. We're ambassadors from heaven. We're sons of God. We, we're, we have authority. We'll judge angels. We're pretty well known. We're well known on earth. We're well known in heaven. Nobody knows us down here. They say we're poor. We, we don't, don't, have, any, don't have anything. We, we just vagabonds run around, you know, one place to another, having to depend on people to take care of. Well, actually, we own everything. Uh, so I said, they don't get us in this world, but that's all right. That's all right. Because we are a sweet-smelling savor to those, to some, and we are a savor of death to others. So he's saying that our freedom is is limited, but, but it's limited by love, not by law. And it's not limited by fear. So let's see if we got another one here. Uh, th- this time we go all the way to chapter 11. And this is Paul kind of giving an offense. And this is where he talks about all the stuff that happened to him. So look at verse 30, 2 Corinthians eleven thirty. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So, so that's what Paul was saying. He said, look, I know that doesn't look good on your resume. For me, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the head guy, for me to have to be let down in the dark of night in a basket in seclusion by a few secret friends just to escape the power of this civil authority who doesn't even know God, it sure doesn't look like we're victors. I get it. And I don't look like I am the powerful apostle. But he said, I, I, I get it. That in my weakness, God's strength is made strong. And so then he goes on to say, okay, let me tell you about the thorn. You see, there was a time when I was caught up I was so caught up in revelation that I don't even know if my body was with me or not, but I was caught up in this third heaven and God spoke things to me that is not even utterable for humans to hear. And I had this revelation of God. But to keep me from being puffed up about that, first of all, I don't talk about it. I don't explain what he said. And secondly, it was giving me a thorn in the flesh. And that's when I asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh because, you know, he was, had given Satan permission to bring this to me. And I asked him to remove it. And he said, no. He said, my grace is enough. It's enough because in your weakness, my strength is completed. So Paul said, here's what I've decided. I boast. I'm a braggart but I boast in him. 
I boast in what he's done. I boast in his character. I boast in his sufficiency. I boast in his wisdom. I boast in his accomplishments. I boast. I mean, what what am I going to be telling you about the little things that I've done when I can boast in one who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? I can boast in the one who has himself taken the wrath of God and obliterated the, the condemnation on sin. The one who's been raised from the dead who am I to, let me just boast in him. You see, I can boast in him because I'm in him and he's in me and I'm partners with him and I'm going to boast in my partner. And and so the only thing that, that have been, that I can boast about in my life is when I was weak, he was strong. When I couldn't, he could. When I had no idea, he was full of ideas. When I couldn't lift my own self, he could lift the worlds. So I boast in him. So the whole thing of Second uh, Corinthians is about understanding what it means to share in this inheritance. Uh, not just that we, you know, we we get the good life of no pain and no inconvenience but that we get to share in reflecting his glory. And that's what it means to be a Christian in this day and time. We are restored reflectors. God put Adam and in, in in Eve in the garden to be his image bearers, reflectors, reflectors of who he is. That's what we do today. We reflect the Lord Jesus. You say, man, since you put it all like that, Dudley, I don't know if I want to be a Christian or not. Well, decide. But I'm telling you, if you want the inheritance, you get the whole package. You don't get to go through and categorize and pick out some of the stuff you like. You know, it's not like a picnic basket where you can take out the the apples and and the cookies and leave inside the other stuff. No, no, you get the whole package. But really, the whole package is what you want. Like Paul said, hey, nothing... Nothing compares to the value of this. I want to share in his life. Yeah, I want to share in his resurrection, but I want to share in his suffering. I want want to share his whole life. So that's, that's our privilege here on the earth. So my encouragement to you and my encouragement to me is let's embrace our life now as who we are. We are God's beloved. That's the definition he gave to us. That's my identity. My identity is not, I'm an apostle, I'm a teacher, I have these degrees, I have these titles, I have these experiences, none of that matters. My identity given to me by God is, I am beloved. Because you see, my identity is not based on things I do or don't do, it's based on what somebody else does. God has to do the loving for me to be beloved. And that's your, that's your, that's your identity as well. You are beloved of God. And if you're beloved of God, and because you're the beloved of God, you are able then to enjoy sharing his inheritance, being his reflector. You got it? That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God now. Well, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening the scripture and seeing the perspective that you've given us there so that we can make a little bit of sense of what's going on in our world. 
we thank you that we are victors in Christ, that you are satisfied in us and that you, we are your beloved and we're beloved because you do the loving and not because we did the deserving. And I thank you that you have given us the privilege of being weak so that you can be strong. And so help us, help us to see that so that we are no longer victims and and uh, and depressed because things are not going as well as we wanted. But, uh, but I pray that for every person listening, that you would show them your commitment to them to be strong in the middle of their weakness. And so I commend them now to your grace, which is able to build them up and establish them with all the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've enjoyed being with you. This is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures, and I'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M. A V E N T U R E S dot com.